He knew he was about to look at me. It's like, <laughs> it was a man by name of Jeremy Westfall who was cutting grass last month. Actually, this was a story that came out in May 2019. He was cutting grass at his home at Mineral Wells, West Virginia. When he decided to put, they put the brand here, Massey Ferguson Lawn Tractor, uh, basically his lawn mower, he decided to put his lawn mower in reverse. He didn't see his six-year-old daughter, Michaela, walking up behind him and the lawn mower backed over her. When the emergency personnel arrived, a sheriff's report said they found that the child's toes had been cut off and that a piece of her foot was under the lawnmower. There is now an association known as the Fair Warning in the US. They've, since before even this accident happened, since 2004, they have already been taking note of the number of injuries for what happens, or, or rather for number of injuries for lawnmowers that go into reverse injuring children that are on the field. And in their news report and interviews, they've identified 133 cases of young children that were injured by a backing of the lawnmower. Eight of the children died. Others suffered amputation of fingers, toes, hands, feet and limbs, as well as mangled internal organs. And they came up with a new report saying that the backover accidents is what they call them involving riding lawnmowers cause a surprisingly large number of serious injuries. And they are trying to, uh, they are trying to avoid it by proposing a simple design change to the lawnmower. Now, obviously my sermon is not about lawnmowers. But my sermon is about the subject of moving backwards. And I want to talk to you about this for a few moments tonight. Because moving backwards in the physical is what backsliding is in the spiritual. Can I make that statement again? Moving backwards in the physical. We just read about lawn movers that begin to move backwards. And what we call moving backwards in the physical is what backsliding is in the spiritual. The enemy this evening, Satan, is a master instigator. If we took a good look and an honest look at our lives and examined our relationship with God, and if we ask the question, are we really moving forward? What would your answer be? Are you moving forward in your relationship with God? Often the enemy aims to pull believers backwards. But if he fails to do that, if he cannot pull you away from a place where you were uh, uh, 
faithfully active in, if He cannot pull you away and remove you completely, then the one thing Satan often does is he succeeds in keeping many Christians stagnant. Status quo, neutral, no growth. And I want to talk to you this evening about the subject of backsliding. And I'm going to warn you tonight, this sermon is going to require some self-examination. We are going to question ourselves as we move along this message. We are going to question where we truly stand with Jesus today and if we have moved back in our relationship with God. I want you to go to 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 3 through verses 10. I've preached out of this text before, but I want to go back to it. It's not the same sermon though, it's a whole different sermon. But this text very well describes what I believe God wants to say to His church tonight. So, 1 Kings chapter 11. And he had 700 wives. Reading there is depressing. Princesses, 300 concubines. And his wives turned his heart, turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab on that hill or on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. And had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. I want to consider with you tonight the life of Solomon for a few moments. Now, when you read this passage, if there's one thing you can derive from here, is the undeniable fact that Solomon was a man that encountered God. The Bible tells us in this text that somehow Solomon had encounters with God. The Bible tells us that God showed up to him twice, in fact, appeared to him in verses 9. God appeared to Solomon twice. So, we're not talking about a half past six Christian here. We're not talking about a half past six believer that has not encountered God or has not encountered or experienced what God can do in their life. I am referring to a man who has indeed experienced the power of God. I am speaking about a man who has indeed encountered God in his life, a man who has personally had God visit him and speak to him. 
And now, despite of that encounter, isn't it fascinating? Two divine encounters, and I'll read those chapters to you in a while, and yet he can turn away. Scripture reveals in verses 4 that Solomon backslid as he grew older. His desire, his unbridled lust for the flesh or of the flesh, chased after women that turned his heart away from God. I want to bring some perspective here. The subject matter is not the woman. Please understand that. Men often blame women for their downfall. Let me be clear right here. It was the undealt perversion in his heart. We have to catch that. So the problem here was not that these women were around him. The problem was he had an internal issue that he did not want to deal with. This perversion leered him. And as it gave in to his desire, he began to give in to these women. Because that was his desire. He wanted more of that. And for Solomon, right here as I said, the condition of the heart was what caused him to crave for what he craved for. It was perversion. For Solomon, it was women. For many, it could be money. Amen. For some, it can be jobs. For some, it could be unbridled desires of the flesh. For some, it could be success. For some, it could be relationship with friends that draws you away from God. You see, we have to catch it right here. The problem are not our friends. The problem isn't our job. The problem isn't money. The problem is our heart. When we cannot set our priorities right, we can blame everything and anything. But the problem is internal. And when your heart craves for something else besides God, more than God, you give in to the demands of it. So here's a woman, or rather here's a man, who desired women perversion in his heart and ultimately because of this desire it turned him away to them away from God anything in our life tonight can have that same hold on us that take us away from God and that's why I say tonight it is going to be a very self-examining question because backsliding tonight is a spiritual disease that decays your relationship with God. Anyone who is backsliding, one of the clear symptoms is that they are finding their relationship with God further and further and further from them. This is one of the clear indications. 
that when you are backsliding, your relationship with God begins to decay. It's a slow, gradual process, but it is how it begins to happen. George Wood, on the 31st of October 1983, wrote a story about Korean Airlines Flight 007. It departed from, uh, it departed from Anchorage, Alaska, for a direct flight to Seoul, Korea. Unknown to the crew, the computer engaging the flight navigation system contained a one and a half degree radius routing error. To be precise, it was 0.0261-799-388. And at that point of departure, it was so minute that the mistake wasn't even recognizable. 100 miles out, the deviation was still so small that it was so undetectable. But as the giant 747 continued through the Aleutians and out over the Pacific, the plane strayed increasingly from its proper course. Eventually, it was flying over Soviet airspace. Soviet radar picked up. This was when, you know, the war, the Cold War and all that was going on. Soviet picked up the error and fighter jets scrambled into the air to intercept. Over mainland Russia, the jet shot down the flight 007. All on board lost their lives. All because, all because of a tiny minute radius difference. 0.02. So tiny. Yet it made this elaborate difference. And I'm here to tell you, beloved, that is the same with the subject of backsliding. That when you think it's, what is such a big deal about this pastor? When you begin to downplay your sin, when you begin to downplay your actions, when you begin to downplay and make it seem like it is so trivial and so minute and so, and so you know, little in the sight of men, can I declare to you, you are positioning yourself for a, to enter a place of danger. This is how it happens. Little by little, compromise leads to backsliding. One sleep in. One, one service that I skip. One day that I don't pray. One day that I don't read the Bible. Let me tell you something. Many of you can testify, today it has gone on to many days. Let's face it, you woke up one day and you said, ah, today I'm just tired, I'm not going to pray. And you just said, just today, just today. And guess what? It's gone on for weeks and months. If you're honest with yourself today, you said one day you got up and you said, ah, I'm just tired, I'm not going to read the Bible today, I'll read it tomorrow. And it's gone on for weeks. Your Bible has been sitting on the table there and you've not opened it. 
You see, that's the, that's the danger of compromise. It leads to backsliding. Let me tell you something here this evening, church. I'm not being legalistic tonight. I understand there are times we rest. There are times we begin to just take some, some time off and we just begin to uh, uh, stay away from certain things. There are, st- there are times and there are seasons for that. And I'm not speaking about that, but I'm speaking about becoming complacent about the things of God. The Bible tells us here, Solomon in verses 5, beloved, went after Ashtoreth. Verses 5, went after Ashtoreth. This is the man who had an encounter with God. Look at him. This is the man that had experienced the power of God. This was the man when God showed up in his life and said, what can I do for you? He said, give me wisdom, God. And God gave him wisdom. And this is the same man embracing false God today. What happened? What happened? What, what caused him to become so bad? He was the guy that was removing idolatry from the land. He was the guy that was coming against pagan worship in the land. He was the guy that was coming against Baal worship. He was the guy who was disciple and brought up by who? The man after God's own heart. David was his father. What happened? How come a man can shift from what he was to where he is now? All of a sudden, he is worshipping Ashtoreth. The Bible goes on to say in verses 6, his loyalty to God was trampled on. His heart clearly was divided. In verses 6, the Bible says that he did not fully follow the Lord. Chengkwang verses 6 Uh, He did not fully follow the Lord. Do you see that in our text? He did not. Something shifted. A man of absolute obedience, a man of absolute submission, a man who gave it all to God is now choosing to walk partially obedient with God. What happened? And as the king who was brought up by David The Bible goes on to say in verse 7, He built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab. Now you have to really think about these three things Solomon began to do. He went after Ashtoreth. He began to partially obey God. And he began to give place to the God of the God of Chemosh. What happened to this man? Solomon gradually compromised. These were outcomes of the heart that has turned away from God. When believers this evening begin embracing the advice of the world, we want to know what Google says more than what God says. We want to know what our friends on Facebook have to say about us more than what God says about us. You know why so many young people today battle and battle with the sense of insecurity? 
because they have too much access to get people's opinion about what they should say about them. They want thumbs up, they want likes, they want ticks. All of these so that they can feel better. And now they start chasing after that. And I can tell you as young people, they grow up feeling like they're not good enough. They grow up feeling condemned. They grow up feeling like they don't have all that it takes to be a success in the world. And these come from the very virtue of embracing the advice from the world. Desiring to receive the advice from what the people of the world say rather than God says. You see, these were subtle changes. Bear with me, I'm going somewhere tonight. That because of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks, what was wrong before for Solomon to embrace or to go after the God of Ashtoreth, this was wrong, beloved, in the past. If you spoke to Solomon three years before, he would tell you this is not right. He would speak against it. He would pull it down. But what was wrong before has now become acceptable. You know, we teach our children today. I was talking to my wife and I was telling her yesterday, I said, you know how often we go back after service and we don't even talk to our children about the sermon that was preached. We don't even give importance to what the pastor said. And then we wonder why do our children grow up disrespecting the pastor and the church? Because somehow what he says is not important. Somehow what the pastor has communicated is not. We don't talk about it. We rather our children seek and find what is approved of the world. Our marriages today, relationships today, child rearing today has become built on men's wisdom rather than God's principles. Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who at one time embraced a way of life and called it the right way but today have chosen to take a different path and still say it's the right way. A symptom of a backslider in verse 6 is one who partially obeys God. How about you and I in this place? Do we completely obey what God says? Do we pick and choose? Are we selective about what God commands us in His Word? I don't like that. So I'm not going to follow. I don't like what God says here, so I'm going to push that aside. I don't like what He says about me having to give up this lifestyle. I don't like that part of it. I can tell you, beloved, there are times we can practice Christianity so religiously. We can have the outward appearance, be in church, pray, read the Bible, carry a Bible with us. But can I, can I be very honest with you? One of the symptoms of a backslider 
is conviction is absent. I say that again. Conviction is absent. That means you can lie and don't feel bad about it. You can cheat and don't feel bad about it. You know what is conviction? Conviction is God saying, I've not given up on you. When God pricks your heart, when you do something wrong, when you say something wrong, when you behave in a way that is wrong, and the Holy Spirit, it's like He takes this knife and pierces into your, and you say, I shouldn't have done that. That's wrong. That your conscience is now beginning to feel the brunt of your action. Listen very carefully to me. When you no longer feel that, there's a scripture in the Bible that says in Genesis, I will not strive with men any longer. You know what does that scripture in Genesis chapter 6? There will come a time where God will say, I'm done. I'm done. It's up to you. You want to go down that path? Go down that path. Get hurt. It's like God is saying, you know what, I, I can't stop you. I've done everything. I, I've tried to send my Holy Spirit. I've tried convicting you. I've tried stopping you. I've shown you things that you saw that, you know, should have turned you around. I put up signs that are before you, but you never seem to get it. And God says, conviction is now absent. That's why, that's why uh, uh, um, Solomon can partially obey God and get by life. Just a little bit. I'll just do the right thing so that God will just see and you know, He knows I'm still a Christian. See, backsliders give preeminence to the God of this world. The Bible tells us now in verses 7, He built a high place for Chemosh. This, is a, this, this sim, symbolizes, beloved, that somehow they no longer are ashamed to embrace the things of the world. They are no longer ashamed to glorify the God of this age. That he, as Solomon, the man who experienced God in our text, began to accommodate to the request of his wife. Notice right here, the Bible tells us that as his wife made the command and as they began to ask of him to do so, he did so to please his wives. In verses 8, he did so, he did likewise for all his foreign wives. Who are you pleasing tonight? Who are you pleasing? Are you pleasing God? Or are you pleasing men? Because Solomon here became more interested in pleasing men, his wives. Why did he do all of this? Because he wanted to please them. Can I put it a different way? He wanted to shut them up. Give them what they want. And I can tell you, that is how the pressure of this world really pulls on us as Christians. Sometimes we feel that, you know what, I'm just going to do it to shut it up. 
I'm just going to give in to sin just to shut it up. That's all it wants me to do. I'm just going to give in to it and let it be, you know, completely done and over with. There are times my wife knows I'm sleeping at night and battles are going through my mind, just battles of assault. And there are times I get up, not in the recent months or year, you know, it's happened a while ago. I get up and I'm like, you know what, I, I'm just going to go and do it. I'm just going to tell this person, no, I'm just going to just rip them apart. I'm so angry. You know, pastors have emotions as well. We're not robots. <laughs> sometimes, you know, I was listening to a sermon by one of our pastors and he said, you know, sometimes you just come to a place where you feel like saying, you know what, I just want to take care of my wife, my children, my dog, my house, my business, my car. That's all. I don't want to care about anybody else. He, he, and that sometimes begins to get as the frustration because when you come to a church like this, I don't know, I don't know how you think and what you think, but my wife and I genuinely care for you. Whether you know it or you don't, we truly love you and we care. And we carry that burden in our hearts every day. And our desire is to just know that you are doing good and you are doing well. And there are times I battle this and you just feel like saying, I, I can't fight this anymore, I'm tired of this. I just want to give up. And you just want to please the flesh. And that's the question tonight. Do we concede to the requests and the demands from our family, our spouse, our friends that are in direct contradiction to God? Do we just give in to them even though it is opposing the ways of God? Even though when they demand for us to do the wrong thing, do we just give in to them? Listen, beloved, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we test truly where we stand. Whose advice have we been listening to? Have we been adhering to the words of God? Have we been listening to the scriptures? Have we been adhering to what God says and what God speaks? Have we been fully obedient to God in everything that we're doing? The Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of the saints. There is a scripture in the Bible. That's why we come. That's why we gather. That's why we're in church. There's a need for us to realize it's an act of obedience. Are we obedient to God? Are we embracing the ways of the world? Not ashamed. Our conscience is so seared that we don't even feel like it's wrong anymore. You know why there are many churches that are beginning to embrace LGBT? You know why there are many churches beginning to embrace gay marriages? Because it's the in thing to do and it's the least pressured way of life. So just embrace it. Even though it goes against God's command, 
Even though marriage was intended to be a male and female. But this was what Solomon's problem was. He was no longer embarrassed to say, I'm now putting the God of Chemosh. I'm building an altar. Everyone can see that I have pledged my allegiance to the God of Chemosh. Everyone now knows that we accept sin. We accept unrighteousness. Everyone now knows that we do not preach against ungodliness. That's backsliding. Susanna Wesley made this profound statement that kept her son, John Wesley, safe until the day he died. You heard me say the other day, John Wesley preached, I cannot even remember, how many thousand sermons did he? 40,000 sermons in his lifetime. On a, getting on a horse, getting off a horse, preaching 40,000. You know what he attribute who he became to? His mother, who spoke these words to him when he was a young man. Listen to these words. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off your relish for spiritual things. Whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may seem in itself. What she was saying is anything that contradicted this book, anything that you will not find in Scripture to confirm it's right in the sight of anything at all that, that affects your conscience and begins to sear your... She said, anything that comes in that form is sin. Very hard of a saying, but how true that is. Solomon's backsliding, as we bring this down, I'm going to address some things that are going to disturb you, make you uncomfortable. Hey, but God put this sermon on my heart and I actually finished it in half an hour. So, it had to be God. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, I'm telling you, I don't write sermons in half an hour. Uh, but God helped me through this and I, and I really felt very inspired in my heart to preach it. I got done with this on Friday, in fact. Solomon's backsliding was in direct correlation with the state of his heart. Look at this with me, beloved. In both of these verses, in verses 4, in fact, the Bible says, for it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord, his God, as was the heart of his father, David. Siva, the banner had fallen down. So two things to catch here. Number one, his wife turned his heart away from God. 
right? This is what we see. The Bible says his wife turned his heart after other gods. The second thing we find is his heart was not loyal to the Lord, his God. So what we find here is the root cause of Solomon's backsliding. I want you to follow with me very carefully here because what caused Solomon to backslide was the loyalty of his heart towards God. This is a subtle reality of backsliding. We can have the outward appearance, beloved, but upon examining our heart, we realize we are actually distant from God internally. Solomon had all the outward appearance. He was the king. He might have been seen as the king who was righteous. He might have been seen as the king who was loyal. He might have been seen as the king, as the one who had removed the Baal worship and all of the idolatry. But here we find that something in him, the wives that he married, turned his heart. His heart was not loyal. Someone stole his loyalty. The question tonight, who has stolen your loyal heart? Who has stolen your loyalty to God from you? Who has your loyalty right now? Because you cannot be loyal to two, the Bible says. You will hate one, despise the other. You will only be loyal to one. This was a test of loyalty here. Matthew 15, 8 through 9. These people draw near to me with their mouth, honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandment of Men. You know what does it mean by teaching as doctrines the commandment of men? Replacing God's word with men's word. Replacing what God says with what men says. You know, there are some very catchy phrases that people like to throw. God helps those who help themselves. Have you heard that? That's not in the Bible, you know. It's not in the scripture. But we somehow think, wow, so catchy. Or we find someone who has some attributes of loyalty and some righteous action and they seem to, you know, uh, promote this lifestyle of godliness or righteousness and we fall trapped to them. Listen, there are many people who worship God with their mouth but their heart is far from Him. This is a reality. This is the reality of the church world today. Hosea 11, 7, my people are bent on backsliding from me. Though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt Him. It is the shifting of conviction on the inside. When the things of God that once, let me tell you, when we backslide, how does it appear to us? Beloved, I want you to really scrutinize this tonight as we bring this to a close. Once the things that we once held dear, the things that we once held close to our heart without compromise, today have we excused ourselves from them? 
A symptom of a backslider is when we move back on our commitments. When we used to pray and commit ourselves to it. But now we have stepped back and we pray a lot lesser. That's a sign of moving backwards. You should be moving forward in your prayer life. Amen. You should be moving forward in the reading of your word. You shouldn't be stepping away from the things of God. These are, sim- these, are, these are signs, beloved. This could be true in every aspect of our spiritual life, in giving, in faithfulness, in commitment, in reading His Word, in evangelizing. Have we taken a step back? Because if we have, we are backsliding. Don't spiritualize that term, overly spiritualize that term. If we've been doing something, but now we are on reverse, we're moving backwards. And that's the scary truth tonight. That we could be a congregation gathered here tonight that could all be backslidden. It's a scary reality. Have I gone back on my commitment to God? That I used to pray fervently at one time, but now I have stopped praying as fervently as that. What happened? I used to come faithfully to church. But now I come as and when. What happened? I used to read the word regularly, but now I don't have time to read it. What happened? In layman terms, we've been moving backwards. All of us have to investigate, examine, and check our hearts. See, backsliding is not so much of just this mere sentiment of walking away from church and going and parting and falling into sin and committing adultery and all of those nonsense. No, 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 no. Backsliding happens mostly in church. People sitting in the church, people sitting in the house of God, people who are listening to the messages, one service to the next, and the very ones that have been challenged to do the right thing, but have taken their step back from God. A.W. Tozer said, you can blame circumstances, but backsliding always begins in the heart. You can blame the circumstances. You know, Solomon could have blamed, oh, my wife is like this, or my, you know, my concubines are like that. Or, you know, the, the time I'm living in is such. No, listen, beloved, like A.W. Tozer profoundly said, backsliding begins in the heart. J.C. Ralph said this, backsliding, listen to this very carefully, Backsliding generally first begins with the neglect of private prayer. If you have no prayer life, I question your salvation. Are you really saved? 
Now, are we backslidden? Do a self-examining test right now. Have I really moved back? See, partial obedience is disobedience. Disobedience is the breeding ground for backsliding. Solomon, as we close, turned away from God who has shown up in his life twice, beloved. Put yourself in his shoes. When you called God to come down and do something for you, He showed up and He did something in your life. He met with you. He met with you and He did what you asked Him to do. God moved for you. You had an encounter and this man had two separate encounters with God. 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and God said, Ask. What shall I give? God appeared in a dream to this man at night. How many of us had God appear in a dream at night? Jeremy, not me. I've never had that encounter. Isaac, great. You guys should be powerful men of God. 1 Kings 9.2, the Bible says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. Twice. Twice. You see, these encounters became distant to him. Somewhere, somehow, the, the zeal and the passion for his pervert lifestyle, for his uh, uh, ungodly lifestyle, began to dissolve or dilute this experience he had with God. It made it seem less important. You know, when you meet someone and you just met them, especially if they're someone important, you begin to look at, oh, I met that person. But how many of those after a few days go by, you kind of just, like, nothing lah, you know, I, I met him. Like, it it, it kind of just dies off. That sensation begins to die off. Or you went somewhere and then you tell yourself, I'll never forget this. And you felt, you know, goosebumps on your hair, on your hand, you know, you, you're excited, you felt so. Well, after three days, you know, you, you're trying to get the goosebumps, it never happens again. It just kind of, this was like Solomon right here. This was like a split-second moment. He forgot about the encounter. He had kind of lost that that. That, that feeling and that sensation of what it felt like to be in the presence of God. You see, to me, the only person who can seem to just dismiss God and walk away from God like that is a man that has to somehow come to a place where you lose sight of the radiance and the experience that God had with you that you treat it so disrespectfully. Not important anymore. Imagine with me, a man who encountered God can walk away. It troubled me. It really did. Because the sad truth is, I cannot safely say that every person in this church has truly encountered God. And if that is truly the case, 
how much easier it will be for someone who hasn't encountered God to walk away from God. That's a scary thought. This is why I preach the way I do. This is why I challenge you the way I do. Young people, listen, I don't tell you to pray because I don't, I, I, you know, I got nothing better to say. I'm telling you to pray because in my heart of hearts, I am hoping God will meet with you when you're praying. I can't change you. No one can change you. This is why we place such great importance in prayer. This is why we place such great importance in the altar call. This is why we place such great importance in worship. Because somewhere, somehow, God has to meet with us. We must have that encounter with God. And so the fearful reality is simply this. If this is the case for a man who encountered God in generations before, where there was no phone, no iPad, no distraction, what more in this generation to walk away from God? The Bible says there will be a great falling away. And so it's necessary we check our hearts. Have we fallen away from God? Where's your prayer life tonight? Where's your faithfulness to God tonight? Where's your commitment to God tonight? Have you taken and made it light tonight? Have you begun to make an excuse tonight? Have you moved back? At one time, you would pray every day, but have you moved back? Beloved, I hate to say it, but that simply means we are moving backwards. What area of your life have you backslid in? What area of your life have you taken steps back away tonight? You need to pick it up tonight. You need to go back to where you lost it. And you need to pick it up. And say, this is where I lost my passion for God. This is where I lost my zeal. I was so busy listening to people. I was so busy in my career. I was so busy in my business. I was so busy in listening to people say this and say that. Uh, I begin to pray lesser. I begin to concentrate lesser on God. I begin to listen lesser to God. I begin to spend time lesser with God. Where did you drop it? Where did you lose it? You need to go back. You need to repent. And say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I begin to deplete my encounter with you. You met with me, God. But I made light of it. You helped me. But I treated it so lightly and I just dismissed it. Because I was caught up. People began to draw me. I was attracted to other things. And the third tonight is you need to come back to your first love. And what that simply means is coming back to a place where you used to pray like you used to pray before. You used to give like you used to give before. You need to come to a place where you need to be in church like you used to be. You got to come back 
got to come back. The Bible says he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. No backslider will enter heaven because it is unfair to the ones that lived righteously. Revelations 2.5 Remember therefore from where you have fallen repent and do the first works or else I come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I can stand behind this pulpit and I can tell you stories. I'm not going to for the sake of time, but I can tell you stories of the people I have met. Many, many men and women that have walked through the doors of this church. Many men and women in my years of pastor, uh, in my years of discipleship walked away from God. We have a young man that has just recently gone back to our mother church. This man had a very interesting experience with God. One day this man was sleeping and while he was asleep, he began to dream and he had an encounter with God. And in that encounter he had with God, God showed him hell brimstone and fire. He saw this firsthand. Furnace burning. The next morning, I, I tell you, Yen knows this. She knows this person. I know. We've been telling this guy, come for prayer, come for prayer, come for prayer. Never listen. He had that fire experience. The next morning, our friend showed up in church for prayer. And stayed faithful. And then one day, he decided, you know what, pastor? I need to look for, a, for someone to marry. So he decided, I'm just going to go to this church. And he decided to go. Obviously, we are, we're not going to stop anybody. Your, it's your free will. Uh, uh, you know, we'll advise. But he decided, I'm just going to do this. And so he said he wanted to go to one of the mega churches. Went there. Loitered around for a while maybe a year or two, came back to church and says, there's nothing. The preaching, the ministry, the words, the prayer life is irreplaceable. He's now back in church. Came back into the church. Because let me tell you something. You can go searching, you can go looking, you can walk away from God. But you can also be in church and be backslidden in heart. How's your prayer life? How's your relationship with God? Was it better before than now? Because if it was better before and now it's gotten worse, my friend, you're backsliding. If there were things you began to say, I'm not going to listen to because they were wrong in the eyes of God, but today you begin listening 
my friend? Have you opened yourself up to things that don't bring glory to God? Where do you stand tonight? I want you to bow your heads with me.